We've been on a series, and our series is called Essential Church. We started thinking about, you know, uh, they talk about essential services and, uh, in the world today, and I'm telling you, church is essential. And uh, so we've been going through this series on essential church, kind of building line upon line. The, inter- the in- uh, intent of this is that you and I will begin to understand that discipleship is this process that God has laid out for you and I to live in. And uh, to live as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to understand uh, the foundation stone of what Christ has accomplished for you and I in order to walk with God in our lives, which is really good news because um, it can be very difficult if we don't understand what Christ has accomplished for us. Last week, what I talked about was the fact that you and I were on trial. We were on trial for all of our sins, and I don't know if that really kind of hits your heart. If you've never been a person that has uh, ever gone to court before, can you imagine being in the courtroom of God where you're on trial and everything, every accusation that's coming is true? Everything that's being said about you is, is true. And I, I, I just, I, I want you to understand how ultra intimidating that would really be. The only example I can use for my life um, was one time my wife uh, went to jail. No, she didn't. But anyway, I'm going to tell you what happened. She went to court, so she thought she would fight a speeding ticket. Uh, there's a long story behind this. She got off the one speeding ticket because when she went to the court date, it was actually closed, so she thought, this is the easiest thing in the world. I will go fight another speeding ticket now. And so we went to court, but this time it was real court. She was on the docket. There's Betty Fraser versus the government of Alberta. Uh, and so we get in the courtroom, and she's immediately intimidated. We're going through, listening through th- these people, different, pe- different trials, different stuff's going on. She's kind of low on the docket because she's just a traffic violation. And she leans over to me at one point and says, I want to pay the fine. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what would you like me to do? Like, you're, you're now in the courtroom, you're in the court system, you're on the docket, you're on trial, sister. And she's like, I seriously want to leave. And I'm like, if you leave, you're going to jail. They will arrest you. So you have to pay the fine. She's like, just go talk to them, just go talk to them, just go tell them. So it comes, <laughs> there's a break in the trial, and I, I, I go up to the prosecuting attorney, who really was like Satan, actually. I'm just going to say that. No, but... I, I whisper quietly, I'm like, my wife is uh, on your docket, and she, well, where is your wife in the courtroom? Why isn't she here? She's a little bit embarrassed. She'd just like to pay the fine. Why did she waste the court's time? The judge is looking at me. He's looking at me. My wife is shrinking in her seat. I say, listen, she just wants to pay the fine. Fine, just go pay the fine. And I, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I was Jesus to my wife in that moment. I took her place, I took the shame, I took the guilt, and uh, I paid the fine. That's what we talked about last week, that we, we entered into the courtroom of God, and we were guilty. We were guilty. And here's the incredible truth, that when we confess our guilt, our defense attorney, Jesus, said, just tell the truth to the judge, and all these charges were leveled against us, and when we said, guilty as charged... Jesus took our place. And the punishment that you and I deserved, and here's the laundry list of all the things we've done wrong, and Jesus literally said, I will take your place. 
And so all that punishment, all that stuff went upon Jesus, upon the cross. And, and what we learned last week was this technical uh, judicial word called justification. And we, we entered the courtroom guilty, but we leave, leave the courtroom justified. And the word justified means just as if I had never sinned. Guys, you've got to understand how incredible that is. It's like, it's like the, all these things are on your record, all these things are on your record, but if you plead guilty, it's literally erased. It's gone. It's not like you can Google all the stuff you've done wrong. It's gone. That's what the word justified means. We're made right with God. We've been justified and, and we've been set right with God. And so this is the courtroom setting that we were in last week Jesus takes our place, but what we didn't realize, what I told you last week, as incredible of what I just told you is, what I said is what I'm going to tell you today is actually even more incredible. Because what we didn't realize that when Jesus took our place, he actually gave us his place. And you and I become the sons and daughters of God. Wow. Guys, this is epic, incredible news. And that's what we're going to talk about and try to understand today a little bit. Let's pray because I need help and we need help to understand this incredible truth. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you, by your grace and by your power, will give us all the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better and to know the hope to which you have called us, and to know the glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus, and to know the incomparably great power for us who believe. Holy Spirit, help us to learn today what it means to be a child of God, and why that that is such a critical truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So imagine you're in the courtroom of God again, and uh, the sentence has just been transferred to your defense attorney who took your place. You're speechless, you're in awe, you're enamored, you're like, wow, 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 what has just happened? I pleaded guilty, and instead of being punished, I've been set free, I've been liberated, and I'm leaving the courtroom justified now, just as if I'd never sinned. And then suddenly the judge says to you, I'd like a word with you in my chambers, if that's okay. And you think, oh, here we go. This is it. I knew this was too good to be true. And you're, you, take, you walk with the judge into his chamber. And the chamber is very, it's not like the courtroom. It's not as intimidating. It's very warm, very inviting. The judge takes off his black judging robe. And uh, guys, wearing blue jeans, man. He's got a t-shirt on and a cardigan. Like very warm, very inviting. I, I, you know, it's a prop. I'm wearing all my props today to kind of add to the sermon. And uh, there he is. The judge is suddenly looking at you and he stares at you and he looks at you with this look of intense love. It's the same look he was looking at his son Jesus with, your defense attorney. And he's like, my son Jesus and I were talking about you. We know all the difficulties that you've had in your life and we know that the struggles you've had. And so I'd like to propose something to you. We want to adopt you and bring you into our family. Come on. I just caused your son 
to be punished on a cross by my sins and all the things I did wrong. He took that punishment away, and now you want to adopt me and bring me into your family? Church, that first thought (laughs) should be enough to cause people to break the church's doors down. That God is for them and not against them. That you can be made right with God. You can have your record taken away. And you can be made clean and righteous. Have right standing with God. And that should be enough to fill the churches. But the fact that God says now, not only am I going to give you righteousness, but I'm going to adopt you and bring you into my family forever. Wow. Wow, wow amazing grace we've moved from the prison church listen we've moved from the prison to the palace that that's what's happened we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves this is what has occurred and just listen to these texts they're not going to come up on the screen but i want you to listen to them just because they prove everything i just said john chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 says this yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become the children of god children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of god ephesians 2:19 consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. See, this is what happened when we were translated from the darkness to the light We were brought from one kingdom to another kingdom, and there's an identity shift, church. Understand something. There's a massive identity shift. Suddenly, you and I have a new citizenship. We have a new identity. We have a new family. We are a new creation. Everything's new. And this is kind of mind-blowing. And when you understand identity, really deals with three primary areas. When you talk about identity in someone's life, where do you find your acceptance? That forms your identity. You know, when, now we have a new identity, so we have a new acceptance. I'm known and I'm loved because I know whose I am and I know, I know where, what's been given to me. We begin to understand what this incredible inheritance that is ours in Christ. We are significant now. Do you understand that this is, changes your identity? Where do you find your significance? That sets your identity. I know who I am and I know why I'm here. Who are you? You're a child of God. Why are you here? I'm here to represent my father and my father's kingdom to the kingdoms of this world to tell people God is not against them, to tell people that God is for them, to tell people that they can be delivered from the the realm of sin and brokenness and brought into the realm of wholeness and hope and favor and love. That's my message. That's what makes me significant. That's what makes you significant. Come on, this is good news, you guys. You have acceptance, you have significance, and you have security. You know where you belong, and you know where you're going. Guys, listen to me. God is with you on the whole journey. He's never going to give up on you. That is security. 
And so we have this incredible new identity in Christ, but what's the problem? Pastor Greg, every week you talk about a problem. Why can't there be no problem? (laughs) The problem isn't God. The problem is you and I. We don't believe it. We still live like we're trapped under this old identity. We still live like we're part of an old kingdom. We still haven't really grasped the translation to the new reality of who we are and whose we are in Christ. And so the deliverance from the effects of sin is still the goal of the Christian life. We don't realize that even though we've been set free from the realm of sin, we still have the effects of sin. And then the devil lies to us and says, see, you're still a sinner. You still are falling. You're still failing. You're still blowing it. How can God be for you? How can be God before you? You need to fix this. And we get into this whole works mentality that does not produce the life of the kingdom of God. And so this is the battle we're in. You see, adoption becomes the perfect analogy. See, because in adoption, you're brought out of one family or lack of family and brought into a new family, and there's a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of understanding that has to come into your life. So let's jump back into our analogy for a moment of this man who was on trial, which is you, by the way, and me, and we've been adopted by the f- God. He's no longer the judge. He's now our father. When we come into the family of God, we come into the, his house, and by the way, the Bible says that in my father's house are many rooms, and there's a room for you. And so you're the, you, you were once the prisoner, now you're in the palace, and, and your first day there, you get your own room, and it's this perfect room. It's like perfect for you. You're like, wow, 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 this is incredible. The father says, we're going to throw a party today because you were once lost, now you're found. I'm going to throw a party. There's a party in your honor. All your brothers and sisters are going to gather. They're going to party together with you. It's going to be incredible. And you're like, this is overwhelming, this is incredible, okay, I'll I'll come down to the party. So the party starts, you hear it, it's going on, and uh, so much fun going on, and you walk down the stairs and suddenly you feel completely out of place, you're like, I don't belong here. This can't be for me. So then you go outside and you you jump outside and you're like getting out of that room, you got to get out of the palace, and you jump into the garbage bin because you're hungry and you want to find some food. And the party's going on, and then you're trying to find scraps of food. And then there's a knock on the garbage can, because you've jumped into this thing. It's like one of those big bins. And then there's a face that pulls up over, looks in and sees you and says, what are you doing? It's your father. And you say, well, I, I, I didn't feel that. I felt out of place. All those people, they look so good. They, look everything, they love everything. I, I just felt like I don't belong. The father reaches over the garbage bin and grabs you by the face and he looks you in the eyes and he says, you are my son. All this is for you. Stop eating the scraps out of the garbage. This whole banquet is for you. Everything is yours. You are my son. And you're like, okay. So you climb out of the garbage and you go to the banquet and you start to go day after day and this is happening every day every day it's like this new family every day you're with all these other people every day you're with your father every day you're like okay could this be true maybe it is true maybe i I do belong maybe i'm supposed to be here and you're going through this identity shift are you following me there's an identity crisis and then something happens you get into a fight with one of the other brothers because by the way he was a prisoner too And he was on trial too, 
and he accepted the judge's offer. Are you following me? And now he's been adopted, but how many of you know he still brought some stuff with him out of his old life? And so you're having this scrap, this fight, and you get into this kerfuffle, and you, what you do is you think, well, that's it. I'm going to get kicked out now. I've beaten up one of the king's kids. Said some things I shouldn't have said. Thought some thoughts I shouldn't have said. You go up to your room. You start packing your bag. And what do you hear? A knock on the door. Who is it? It's your father. <laughs> he comes into the room and he's like, what are you doing? You're like head held down. You're like, I'm packing my bags. I got into a fight. I know I'm not supposed to fight. Uh, it's terrible. I did some things wrong. I'm sorry. I'm just going to leave. You don't have to worry about it. And the father, what does he do? He sits down again on the bed. He grabs you by the face again. He looks you in the eye again. And he says, son, you are my beloved child. I am never going to leave you or forsake you. You can leave this place, but I'm still going to be your father, and you're my child. That will never change. You're like, why is that so hard to grasp, Pastor Greg? How many of you know it takes time to become? What God has said to be true of you takes time for you actually to be convinced of it. Bible says you need your mind renewed because you live under the old order of thinking. And, and there's a book, and it's an interesting book, and I'm just going to tell you, the, my sister who's a psychologist told me to read it. I didn't. I just looked up the highlights. <laughs> so I sound really intelligent, but here's, her, here's the quote anyway. The book's called Risking Intimacy by Nancy Groom. So she's a psychologist and talks about people coming out of bondage into freedom and they can still hold a slave mentality. So this is a quote from her. Three rules in particular would have governed the mentality necessary for someone to survive a life of enslavement. They don't trust, they don't hope, and they don't risk. Those are the three things when you come out of a life of bondage that you struggle with in your life. And how many of you know if we're really honest, we do that with God. We don't risk, we don't trust, we don't hope. Now, let me prove that out to you. Don't, don't get all upset, don't leave yet, it gets better. Here we go. Because what you need to comprehend about this whole journey of Christianity is it's not about you. It's about God and what he's done for you. And so the old order of way of thinking was Greg-centered. And now I have to shift to become God-centered. But I want you to understand an incredible truth about security. I'm going to give you two scriptures today about the security that you and I have in our new relationship with God. Here's the first one, Philippians 1 verse 6. Listen to this. I pray with great faith for you. Because I'm fully convinced that the one who began his glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that says? He 
who began a good work in you will be faithful to stay with you until it's complete. Guys, listen to me. God is not your project. You are God's project. And God picked you. I wouldn't have picked you guys. I wouldn't have picked me. But he did. He picked us. And he says, I am with you throughout the entire process. You know, there are things in your life, there are broken areas of your life that God hasn't even shown you yet. (laughs) There's junk in you that hasn't even come out yet. But he's with you. He's for you throughout the entire process. What kind of God is this? He's a father. Now listen to this scripture. This will blow your mind. The masterpiece of the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 17. You did not receive the spirit of religious duty or slavery leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, adoption, sonship, daughtership, enfolding you into the family of God. And you'll never be orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are my awesome, beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. We have this incredible inheritance, church. And it's all because we're in Christ. It's all because of what Jesus has done for you and I. And the inheritance we've talked about over the last several weeks is a thing called righteousness. To have right standing with God. It's a thing called justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. You know, these are the things that we've gotten from God. And today we found out we've been adopted into his family. This is an unbelievable inheritance. That's ours. It's yours. But then he says these words. Provided you will go, you'll be glorified with him, provided that you will accept his sufferings as your own. And you're like, there it is. The catch. The caveat. Why I'm so screwed up still. What does that mean? Enter into his sufferings as Christ entered into suffering. So I asked the question this week, and I said, Lord, where did you suffer? And of course, we can go through the whole thing of the cross, and he suffered there. But I want you to understand the depth of his suffering, which relates to you and I even more so. This is where it is. He suffered in that he had to lay down his own self-will in order to have a God-centered will. And you think, well, when did that happen? There's a place called Gethsemane where the sins of the world were placed on Jesus. And Jesus is having this discussion with the Father. The stress is so great that he bursts blood vessels in his head 
And he says, Father, take this cup from me. It's too much. I can't handle it. Take this off my plate. You ever felt that way? I I can't handle this, God. It's too much. And then he says, but Father, not my will. Not my will. Your will be done. Three times with Jesus, he says it. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, not my will. Your will be done. That was his suffering moment, church. Now, how does that relate to you and I? Because church, get something. You and I are (laughs) self-centered. And the process of becoming children of God, of being maturing as children of God, we're already children of God, but the process of maturing is that we have to lay down the self-centered life. You think, well, that sounds easy. Well, isn't that amazing that the Bible actually gives us a story of a family who had to deal with their self-centeredness? And that's the story of the prodigal son. So here's Jesus. He laid down his self-centeredness. He said, Father, your will, not mine. He became the pattern for you and I to follow. But how does it work in other lives? You know, the parable of the prodigal son, the word prodigal isn't in the Bible. It's just a word that describes the story. And the word prodigal actually means this, recklessly extravagant, yielding abundantly, one who spends or gives lavishly or foolishly. That's what the word prodigal means. Okay? So all the time you and I have been taught, and we've listened to the story of the prodigal son, that there's only one prodigal son. And I'm going to tell you today that this story is actually about three prodigals. It's not about one. It's about three. And let's just understand this from this perspective of laying down self-centered life. See, prodigal number one, we all get that guy. That's the selfish son. (laughs) Remember him? He's the one that's like, give me my inheritance. Give. And he takes that which is not his. Imagine saying to your dad, this is how brutal this is, you guys. I can't wait for you to die, so give me my inheritance now. This boy's got some issues, you know what I'm saying? Gives me some hope, that's all I know. And what does he do? He's recklessly extravagant with sin. He's recklessly extravagant with sin, with money, with time, with words. He is out there. He's, he's, you know, he's left, he's taken his inheritance and he spends it foolishly, the Bible says, and he derails his life. Anybody else ever done that with sin? Words, reckless behavior. Dang, God. (laughs) Here we are. Finally comes to his senses. And here's what the thing, all of his self-willed, selfish choices lead him to slavery not to sonship. Have you ever figured out that your selfish choices lead you to more slavery? (laughs) I have. Greg Fraser wants his will. And when he gets his will, he thinks, oh, this is delicious. It's so yummy. Yum, 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 yum. I get my will. How many of you know sin is fun, but only for a season? And then the season comes to an end, and it leads to death. brokenness, woundedness, hurt. So finally he comes to his senses, and, and, and again, I won't, you won't hear this, see the scripture, but the story, it just says this, Father, I was wrong. 
I've sinned against you, and I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Father, please forgive me. Make me one of your slaves. This is a beautiful moment for me, church, because understand something. The son comes to his senses. He moves from a give me to a make me. He yields to the father. Are you following what is happening here? It's beautiful. He says, make me. Make me a slave. But the father won't hear him. It's a crazy moment. It's a crazy story. The father runs and sees him. He hugs him. He's kissing him. The guy's covered in filth. He's been, he's been away. He's, just a, he's like, put a new robe on this guy. Cover him in the robe of righteousness. Put new sandals on his feet. You know, he, can't, he needs to have the gospel of peace. He's now at peace with me. He's now at peace with God. He's now at peace with his father. Put the sandals back on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. The signet ring, meaning, meaning he's back in the family. This is the symbol of who he really is. He's not a slave he's my son he was once dead now he's alive and the party starts he says slaughter the fattened cow we are having a party my son who was dead is now back and they start the party it's a party it's literally a party it's like everybody's like it's party time the beef's on the barbecue guys this is like Woo! Can you smell it? It's party time. Everybody's so excited except the second prodigal, who's the older brother. <laughs> he comes in, and the Bible says he became very angry and he refused to go in. The father went out and pleaded with him, and he answered the father, Look, all these years, listen to what he says. I have been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed you. But then this son of yours comes along, and you know, you, you haven't even given me a goat to party with my friends. But this son this, spends your inher- his inheritance, dis- dishonors you in every way. You give him the fattened cow. And the father looks at him and says, son... Everything I have is yours. You could have had a cow. You could have had a party every day. You could have had a goat. You could have had a chicken. You could have had, it's all yours. But do you guys catch this, the mentality of the second son, the prodigal? What did, he, what did he say? I have been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed you. How is he living, you guys? He's living out of his old identity. He still doesn't know that he's a son. And I relate to him. Anybody else relate to the second prodigal? I've worked my head off to try and please God at times, guys. Now, I'm going to give you a list. Just which, one, which camp do you fall into? Be honest. Are you a slave or a son? Here's what it is. Slaves are accepted by what they do. Sons and daughters are accepted by who they are and whose they are. Slaves are secure only if they've proven their worth. Sons and daughters rest secure in the love of their family. When slaves fail, their whole position is at stake. When sons or daughters fail, they are grieved for hurting their parent, but they know their performance will not change their position. Which one are you? If you're honest like me, you got to say I'm living like a slave sometimes. 
You see, all of his self-righteous choices led him to anger and disappointed, not to the freedom of sonship. (sighs) Did you guys catch that they both had a give-me mentality? I've earned it, the second prodigal said. I've earned it. Give me a, you haven't even given me a goat. You haven't given me anything. The first one's, give me my inheritance. The second one's, I've earned my inheritance. Give it to me. No, you can't earn it. You've got to lay down the self-centered life, church. Whether it's selfishness or self-righteousness, it does not inherit the kingdom of God. Only faith, trust, resting in God inherits from God. See, the younger one took what was not yet his, and the older one did not take what was already his. <laughs> oh my, Lord, have mercy. I said there were three prodigals in the story. Do you remember that? Prodigal one, selfish. Prodigal two, self-righteous. Prodigal three is the father. You see, the father was recklessly extravagant with love. He's the selfless one. 1 John 3 says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The word lavish means to pour forth without restraint. Guys, your father is a prodigal. He is recklessly extravagant with love. The angels of God must look at him and say, you're crazy. Just destroy them all. Start again. No, I love them. I love them. You sent your son to die for them to take their place, and now you give them his place as the child of God? Yes, I love them so much. This is crazy love. This is awesome love. It's incredible love. I'm going to tell you a little secret, and you need to get this. (laughs) On your journey of discipleship, many Christians still live selfishly. They're saved. They're born again. They're child of God. But they're not maturing because they're still selfish. They're They're reckless with the love of their father. They're reckless with the goodness of their God. They're reckless. I can do whatever I want. I don't need to submit to God. I don't need to do that. And and guess what? They're derailing their life. They're hurting themselves. It's fun for a season. And God patiently walks with us selfish, self-centered people until we come to our senses and say, make me. Make me, God. Make me. And you know, some of us Christians, we're self-righteous. We want to earn it. We want to or deserve it. We, we, something in us just says, I have to work harder. I have to do more. I've been slaving. I'll keep slaving. I'll keep trying. I'll keep trying. I'll keep, just, you know, I need, now, have I earned it now? Have I earned it now? And the Father looks at us and says, you can't earn it. It's just yours. You know, I know what I'm talking about, you guys. Ten years ago, I got diagnosed with MS. And for ten years, I have done everything I can to get healed. I have 
confessed every sin known to mankind. Ones I probably didn't even think about, but I just confessed them in case I did them. I don't know. I, 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 I did everything I could do. I fasted and prayed. I, I tried my hardest. Have I earned it yet, God? Have I earned it yet, God? Have I, am I good enough yet, God? Will you heal me now, God? Why haven't you given me my goat, my healing? And I'm angry and I'm frustrated. And God's like, it's yours. Take it. Do you understand there's something in me that has to get fixed? <laughs> something in me that has, that's broken in how I receive from God that suddenly I'm starting to realize and saying, God, you're that good. Do you know what, I, you know what I've been freaking out about lately? Every night I go to bed and I think, I am so pathetic. I need eight hours of sleep before I can even function. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's how weak I am. And you love me. You're for me. You see, suddenly it's not about me anymore. Suddenly it's about the Father. Suddenly I'm changing. I'm becoming God-centered instead of Greg-centered. And I don't know about you, but I, I can see myself as the selfish son some days and the self-righteous son some days. But now I want to be the mature son that receives by faith through grace in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's close in prayer right now, church. <laughs> oh, Father, help us to become the sons and daughters of God. Mature. We're already saved. We're already in your kids. But we want to mature. We want to grow up. We want to let go of our self-centered ways. Whether it's selfishness or self-righteousness, we yield. You win. Renew our mind, Lord God, through the washing of the Word of God and the truths that we're hearing even today. And Lord, it requires that you and that we look at your face. And when we look at your face, we don't see anger, we don't see disappointment, we see love. Reckless, extravagant love. Help us, Lord, to have the faith to trust you, to have, find our hope in you, to risk that it actually could be true, that you could love us that much. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I, I relate to the prodigals. Let's start with the first guy. Maybe you've been living selfishly. Maybe you've been doing your own thing. And sin is fun but it's only for a season. But you say, I need to come home. I'm coming to my senses. I'm not happy. If that's you, just give me a wave and say, Pastor Greg, that's me. Time to turn back to the Father for my prodigal ways of selfishness. You know, it's not just the big things. Sometimes it's the small things, isn't it? Every day, Greg Fraser gets up and Greg Fraser wants to be selfish. But he has to lay it down. Maybe you relate more to the second prodigal, like me. 
You see, man, I, I keep trying to earn that which has already been given to me. And I just need to receive it by faith. And if that's you here today and say, Pastor, help me. Pray with me. Agree with me. God, forgive me for being self-righteous. If that's you, raise your hand. Say, wave it at me. Lots of people. Thanks, guys. Amen. Your job is to bask now in the love of your Father, the mercy and the grace of your God, and to walk in victory from that place forward. In Jesus' name. If you're watching online or if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus in the courtroom of God to forgive your sins, today is the day of salvation. Today is you transmit your guilt to Christ and receive his innocence. But you have to make the step. You have to ask. If that's you here today and you say, Pastor Greg, that's me. I ask God to forgive my sins, to help me live with him. That's you. Wave at me. Say, Pastor, yes. Are there others online if you're watching? That's you that will join this other one that has made a commitment today. We're going to pray a simple prayer. And if you've ever prayed this prayer, you're going to pray it out loud together with me. Say, Heavenly Father, come on now. If you've ever prayed this prayer, pray it out loud with me together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to take my place so I could take his place. Amen. Let's give these people a hand that raise their hand today, man. Understand there's a party in heaven right now. Boom, 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 boom. Amen? God is raising the roof because people are getting right with Jesus and making decisions to follow him. Wow, this just keeps getting better and better and better. I can hardly wait to see what the Holy Spirit's going to do next week. And uh, just be, make sure you're part of it. Amen. Go in the grace and the peace and the power and the presence of the living God. Walk in victory because you are the sons and the daughters of the King. Amen.